Well, good morning. I wish I'd had a chance to speak before now because I wanted to say to you, I missed last Sunday, and uh, I haven't missed too many in a while, and wow, it really seems like a long time. When you miss one, you have two weeks that have gone by, and it just seems like a long time since I've seen you. So I got to experience what some of you experience. I know you have busy lives and you can't come every Sunday. Uh, studies show that 25, 30 years ago, people would come three out of four Sundays, and now they come one out of four Sundays. And so uh, I'd, I'd prefer we go back to at least the three out of four because it's as we try to preach and teach and follow through the Scripture, sometimes we wish, now how do we go back and make sure everybody gets that? I haven't been one to listen that much to podcasts and things like that, but they are available. And uh, Johnny will continue to work to get that up for you if you want to be able to follow along in what we're trying to do in the book of Acts. Speaking of the book of Acts, imagine your Bible without the book of Acts. Think about it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four books of history telling the story of Jesus. Different angles, same story. The story of Christ coming, living a perfect life, dying from our sins, being raised from the dead, preparing his disciples and going back into heaven. Four accounts of history. But imagine what it would be like if you didn't have the book of Acts. You might be turning through your Bible and be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Romans. And you would read Paul, an apostle. I didn't see him back there in those four Gospels. Rome, how did it get from Jerusalem to Rome? The book of Acts is a very important book of history that builds a bridge between the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Christ and the movement that we know as the church. So it's very important as we open our Bibles and see that in the purest form, the Christian movement is not a religion. In the purest form, the book of Acts shows us that it's a movement. It's a movement of people that became known through the teaching of Christ. They became known as the body of Christ. You see, Jesus had been in a body, the infinite God-man, all God, all man, here on earth, embodied, taken on the form of a man. But he goes back into heaven now what happens? He has a new body. It's a mystical body. It's okay in this sense to use that word. It's called the church, the body of Christ. We begin to see how that movement unfolds as we watch this bridge and we see Jesus say to them, that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you need to wait. Now, as we think about the church being a movement and not a building, 
it's very important that we rehearse the language because language can determine culture and then culture can determine actions and activities. And around here, we try hard not to refer to this as the church. This is the church house. It's not the church. Now, it's easier when I tell Johnny and Matthew, I'm going to meet you up at Shallowford. I I can sneak around not having to use the word church. But there's no reason why we, as such a small group of people, can't learn the right language biblically. Because this is not the church. When I was a little boy, I was taught a little nursery rhyme of a sort. It went like this. Here's the church and here's the steeple and open the doors and see all the people. Now, did any of you ever do that? Quite a few of you did. Uh, well, it wouldn't hurt. I know some of you men, it's too macho for you. But if, if you could, uh, this would help me teach you something if we could get on the same page and walk this way together. The nursery rhyme goes, here's the church and here's the steeple and open the doors and see all the people. Some of you never had anybody there because you did your fingers wrong, okay? But if you do them right, they're people, okay? Now, the problem with that is we're teaching our children terrible theology. This is not the church. This is a building that may or may not have a steeple. If you want to see the church, you have to look at the people. So the church, little wiggly fingers, that's the body of Christ. Now, if you are one today, we are what we're going to see described in the book of Acts, the church gathering. But then we're also going to see the times when the church is scattering. And so I wonder today, could you take one finger? Now, I can't do this for you. I mean, you can do it and it not be true. (laughs) But I hope you can do it and it is true. Could you say, go ahead and put put the church back together here, all right? Put Put the people in here. Can you take an index finger and say, I am the church? If you can't, I hope in the next few minutes you'll be able to understand how to have a relationship with God and realize that God indwells you and you become part of the church when it gathers and you are part of the church as it scatters. But what we're going to see here in this book of Acts is that God is building a people called his church. Now, before we leave this first point, I I want to see if I can drive it home a little bit more with with a word study, okay? We've already had a volunteer service. By the way, I'd like to put in a plug for it. If you teach with uh, the children during this hour, you can come at 9.30 and have an abbreviated uh, service. We, we sing one song. The preacher preaches a short message. Yeah, it is possible for a preacher to preach a short He preaches a short message. Maybe you'd like to do that one so you can go watch football this fall. Anyway, I mean, just a 30-minute meeting, all right? We come in, we sing a song, a short message, and then we leave. And during that time this morning, I, I told them I, I didn't mean it to sound like a class with all these word studies, but let me just give you just a couple, couple of little word studies that will set the scene as we study the book of Acts because, first, the word church in the Scripture 
is a Greek word, ekklesia. Now you, you may think, I don't need to know that. Well, have you ever heard of ecclesiology? Maybe you have. It's the study of the church, okay? It's made up of two words, ek, out of, and kaleo, to call. And literally, it's the called out ones. It's the assembled ones. It was used in the Roman days when they would have a meeting of the true legitimate Roman citizens. They would call them out of the city and call them to a place where they were card-carrying citizens of Rome and they could come to a meeting, all right, because they were qualified. And so the word became known as the church being the called out ones, the ones who've heard the call of Christ, the ones who have heard him called them to salvation and now they've been called by him and now they're called to him and assembled they are the called out ones now you say that's not a very big deal well explain that to a guy named Tyndale when you get to heaven all right you probably heard his name in the publishing house the Tyndale but Tyndale was a man who wanted to translate the scripture during the reformation and put it into English and when he came to the word church, he translated ecclesia, the assembly or the congregation. And it made the religious leaders mad. Because they wanted people to see the building and the organization as the church. And Tyndale said, I'll die on this point of translation. And when they were taking his life, it's recorded that his last statement was, may God open the eyes of the king of England. And probably you have somewhere, if you've been around church a while, a copy of the old 1611 King James Version because God did answer Tyndale's final prayer. To him it was an extremely big deal that the language be right. Because the church is not a building. The church is the people of God. The word church, I'm told, comes from German. Uh, all German words kind of sound alike to me, except maybe Volkswagen. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know much German. But they say it comes from a word that means a sacred place. And we have to be so careful with that. Because we're going to find in the book of Acts that it's not talking about a sacred place, but a sacred people who have indwelling them the sacred one who has made them sacred by setting them apart for himself, who has given them the message of salvation to live it out and to represent him on planet earth now i kind of like this room okay it's okay with me when we take the chairs down and put up tables and eat and even put a football game on the screen i mean you know i'm okay with that but i am reminded almost every time i walk into this room that christians meet here but listen to us sometimes when we pray oh god you could never live in a building made with hands we were reminded when we came in this room that believers set this apart as a place to worship but we know that you're not contained in this room, but it's special to us because we've studied your word in here. We've sang your praises in here. And would you meet us again as we gather in Jesus' name? Sometimes that's the kind of prayer we pray. But listen, church.
You are the church. That's the movement we begin to see here in the book of Acts. It starts with Luke saying to Theophilus, you remember the first book I wrote to you? The first letter about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And it's such a cool word that he began to do because he's continuing to do. And the story continued in the book of Acts, not through his physical body, but his new body, the church, and how Jesus worked through the Spirit in the message of what he had done. He says on the day that he was taken up after he had given commands by the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. It's even a little unfortunate that the book of Acts is called the book of Acts of the Apostles because it's more like Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and the other people that we meet as God does his work. Now, don't think I'm being disrespectful. The, the scripture did not record Acts of the Apostles. Okay, people added that on there, the title, all right? It's, it's not given by the work of the Spirit. It's just given so we wouldn't be able to handle our Bibles, all right? Jesus showed himself alive. And then we see the introduction to a better understanding of the triune God. We sang this morning about our one true God. There are those that are on the outside of our faith that accuse us of worshiping three different gods. And they say that we're confused. We don't really have monotheism because we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a whole different class that we can get into. But let me just tell you, you see the unity of the Trinity as Jesus says, you wait until the Father sends the Spirit to work through you. The church is a movement, not a building. The second thing we're going to see as we look through this book of Acts together is where the movement starts. We see that it started here with these handful, some of the most unlikely. One guy even said, this is the most inept group to be given the greatest task. Now this morning, I guess we could we could look at heaven's eyes on this congregation and there's somebody in here that has to be the most inept, okay? I don't know how we would grade them humanly, but probably there's at least one in here that heaven would say, you are the most unlikely. So you want to take a minute and see if you can find? No, I'm just kidding, right? All right. <laughs> Got a volunteer, all right? Hey, listen. This most inept group was given the most impossible task, and it worked. Because we're here 2,000 years later, because it worked. They took the command of Jesus, literally, to go into all the world, and they took the power of the Spirit that moves us to keep those directions from God, and the word of God spread and the movement came. Notice he told them to wait. I confess I've not listened to Johnny's message last week preached, but I've heard it preached from him to me. And we talked it through, and I know he labored on the fact that the story of God continues now to be the story written on our hearts and through us. He told them to wait until the Holy Spirit. Notice, if you will, if your Bible's open there, look at verse 4. While 
Staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, in a minute, he's going to tell them they're going to have to depart from Jerusalem. And we will see how that happens in the book of Acts. But first, he said, wait until the promise from the Father. And then he starts describing that promise. You've heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You know, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's usually two extremes in people's lives. There's one extreme where they talk about the Holy Spirit all the time, even to the point of not talking about Jesus and the Father. And everything is about some manifestation, some public gifting, some working of the Spirit not too long ago, uh, this, is on, this is recorded, but I, I'm still going to tell you, all right? Not too long ago, we had a person visit our church. And after the service, I stayed and lingered with him quite a while. And as we talked, he continued to talk about the Holy Spirit in terminology that I felt like was unbiblical. And the more he talked, the more he expressed that the only way to know you were filled with the Spirit was to speak in tongues and, and how God wanted to do all kinds of other manifestations. And he just continued to talk that way. And finally, I said to him, so let me see if I understand this. You believe that unless a person speaks in tongues, they're not filled with the Spirit. He said, that's exactly what I believe. That's what the Bible teaches. I said, I think you're wrong. He said, we can debate it. I said, we really don't have to debate it. Because I'm pretty convinced that you've been taught and trained in it. And you don't want to hear my point of view. You just want to try to talk me out of my point of view. And he said, well, we can debate it. I said, no, we don't need to debate it because here's why. You see, I'm the pastor here. And you're not. And I've got to lovingly say to you, that teaching is not welcome here. And if you can't come and be a part of us without trying to make everybody believe what you believe, then you're not welcome here. Now you say, Pastor, that is so harsh. No, I feel like I was doing my job as the under-shepherd to not cause confusion in this congregation. Hadn't planned on saying that today. I may regret that I told you, all right? <laughs> but I, I tried to make sure that the talk about the Holy Spirit did not become so extreme that it confused the body of Christ. But there's another extreme where we never even acknowledge who he is and his presence. And Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he's going to testify of me. He's going to come and point people to me. And the way we delight in talking about the moving of the Spirit and what we're going to see as we study the book of Acts is how the Spirit of God empowers the people of God to do the work of God and we delight in his moving because when he moves, he moves to honor Christ. Not to cause confusion, but to bring about unity of people. I mean, look around this room. There is absolutely no good reason for you to be in this room together except for Jesus who brought you to himself and made this your family. 
How did he do that? As the Spirit of God testified to the truth of God bringing people to Jesus. Now, where does this movement start? Well, it starts in our hearts. Notice what he says in verse 8. This is a very important verse. I regret that we didn't put it up here on the PowerPoint, so I hope everybody can see it in one fashion or another. All right? When you come to verse 8, you begin to see the plan for the movement of God. And really, you begin to see how the movement started and what the movement's going to do. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this is where Jay talks about congregational participation in singing. I want to talk about congregational participation in scripture reading. So get some version. And if yours is not the ESV, just slow down because most of us are going to be reading. That's what I've got in my hand here. All right. So here's, let's read this together. You ready? Here we go. But you will receive power. I knew that most of you didn't believe me. I want you to read it out loud, okay? Let's all read this together. Here we go. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now let's break that verse down. You will receive power. That's the Greek word dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. As a follower of Jesus, you have dynamite in your heart. The scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God wants to make very clear that the way he changes people is not by getting them to do better, but to change them from the inside out. As followers of Christ, we want to do what the scripture says, but we know we are totally inadequate in our own strength. And the movement starts when the Spirit of God comes to live in the heart of the people of God, and you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Do you have the Holy Spirit living in your heart this morning? The scripture says if you have not the Spirit of Christ, then you're none of His. It's very clear that the Spirit of God bears witness to the heart of people that we're sinners and we need a savior and he comes to indwell us by his spirit. That's why our hearts can cry, Abba, Father, to God himself. And he says, you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what's going to happen? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Footnote, that's the outline of the book of Acts. Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 7. Judea, Samaria, chapters 8 through 12. To the ends of the earth, chapters 13 through 28. We'll see it later. But that's the outline. It's an important verse. If you have memory verses, write memory verse in the margin. I regret I didn't give you a card this morning like I did when we were studying in the, the Gospels. This is a memory verse. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Has he come upon you? Do you have him living in you? That's how the movement starts. Personally, in you. But notice what he does. He doesn't let the movement stop with you. If you're not part of the movement, one of two things have happened. Either the mover is not indwelling you, or somehow you've clogged up the flow of the Spirit's power and you need to, in cooperation with God, confess your sin and let him cleanse you 
from all unrighteousness and let his power begin to work through you. That's, that's the plan for every believer. That's why this morning we're going to take Acts 1.8 and we're going to change the pronouns. Are you ready? Every time it says you, I want you to say I or me, whichever is appropriate, okay? Now, we could just make all of you call your own name. That would even be a better symphony, all right? But let's, let's see if we can do this together. But you will receive power. So you need to change the pronoun now. But I will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon me. And I will be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the expectation of the mover who started the movement. So how does this movement move? Essentially, we've got to make sure that we understand the work of the Spirit and what we are witnessing to. The work of the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The first time you truly encountered the work of His Spirit was when He was knocking at your heart's door. And he drew you to personal faith, not just to talk about Jesus, but to come to know Jesus. And there may be someone even here today that's been talking about Jesus, but is yet to know Jesus. That's okay. We all, we all started there. We all started admitting that we could not save ourselves and that we were not good enough and we could not reach God. And we saw the cross building the bridge between holy God and sinful man. And we understood the invitation when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and you come to the Father by me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he convinces you that he is real. But the power is not given so you can just walk around powerful. All right? The power is given for us to be witnesses. The word witness there is the word martyria. You hear the word martyr, and you should. Because the word martyr came to be understood as one who witnessed and would not deny it all the way until death. You see, a true witness says, I have no choice. I know this is true, and I'm sorry, you can't talk me out of it. Stories all over the world of people who've been beaten and people who have lost their jobs and left their families. And every time I hear those stories, I think about how we are so comfortable in our first world environment not taking seriously what it means to witness to the indwelling presence of Jesus that we know he lived. We know he died. We know he was raised from the dead. And I have no choice. I have been encountered by this message and have come to meet the risen Lord. Is that you? Do you know him? Have you encountered him? Has he encountered you? Has he invited you to put your trust in him and to be a witness what do you witness to? It's very, very simple. 
that Jesus was and is the Son of God, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross not for his sin but for mine, and all of my sin was laid on him. He became the substitute sacrifice. And he was raised from the dead to prove that God accepted the payment. And now he is reigning over the world in his rightful place in heaven and will one day reign over a new heaven and a new earth. And he came to me and invited me to be his follower. And more than that, to be his child. And he came to live in me and make me new from within. And I must witness to that message. But let's be careful. It's not the way we live that primarily does the saving. Perhaps we can show a different life, but if anybody watches us, they're going to see imperfection. And they're going to see how much we need a Savior just like they do. It's St. Francis of Assisi that is uh, assigned the statement, uh, preach the gospel and if you have to, use words. Now that sounds good and it does set a scene, but it's really not accurate. That would be like this morning me to say, uh, Give, give your friend your phone number, and if you have to, use numbers. Okay? We can't preach the gospel just by the way we live. Hopefully our lives are not contradicting the gospel. But the gospel is a message. It is a message of who Jesus is. And that's what started this movement of the unlikely fishermen and carpenters, uneducated they were later called, but they could tell they would be with Jesus. And this crew that had denied Jesus, now later in the book of Acts, turns the world upside down. How did they do that? They became convinced when they met the risen Lord that he was worth knowing and following and even dying for. And they became his witness. It's a message. Yes, live the gospel so people can see it. But we have to use words, all right? We have to use the word of who he is because that's what saves. It's the thing preached that saves. I, I, I can hear Billy Graham saying, it's the foolishness of preaching, of the thing preached that does the saving. Boy, God drove that message home to me young in our ministry I went on my first mission trip. I never got over that trip, by the way. It was to Brownsville, Texas. If you look at Texas, it comes down to a point right across is Metamoros, Mexico. Took a youth group. I was in seminary. Took a youth group down, and we worked on both sides of the border at an orphanage on one side and taught a vacation Bible school on the other. It had such impact on me. I called KK and said, you got to get down here. She said, how? I said, I don't know, but you got to figure it out. Call and see how much an airline ticket is and uh, pray that God will give you some money. We were broke seminarians, all right? 
called back the next day. She said, well, this discount airline has put a, a sale on. We only have to buy two tickets. The little one doesn't have to buy one. And so it's going to cost, I think it's $15 a ticket or something like that. And I went to the mailbox, and we had our tax return. And so I'm, I'm coming tomorrow. So she came down. And it was an incredible time that God changed our life to see people that were so different that needed the message of Christ. We went out one afternoon and we were knocking on doors trying to reach some of the families that lived around where we were doing the vacation Bible school. And we had little Gospels of John that we were taking with us. And every time we knocked on a door, someone would come to the door and we would say, uh, no habla espanol, they would say no habla ingles, and we would take the Bibles and we would hold them out and with a very loud, slow voice say, read this. I don't know why we think if we say it louder and slower that all of a sudden it becomes another language, but we do that, right? We somehow think English becomes Spanish. Read this, all right? So we're out knocking on doors, handing out Bibles, and as we're doing that, we're not getting very far, and we lady comes to the gate. She opens the gate. I said, no habla espanol. She said, no habla inglés. I said, read this, and then I heard a voice. A little boy was riding down the street on his bicycle. Senor, senor, what are you doing at my home? I said, we're trying to tell them about Jesus, but I don't speak Spanish. He said, would you like for me to help? Very humbling to a guy getting his master's degree to let a little 9 or 10-year-old boy become the translator. But I said, sure, son, help us. So he, bilingual, went to the back gate. We sat down on the back porch. It was his mother, his grandmother, and two of his aunts or aunts, as we say here in Georgia. You, you get sisters, so you got, right, all right? So four ladies in the home. We went through the gospel message. He translated, got to the end. I said, does this make sense? They all said, yes. I said, so would you like to put your faith in Christ today? They all said, yes. I looked at the teenagers with me and said, too easy, they didn't understand. Let me go over it again. So once again, I went over the gospel message of Jesus being the perfect God-man, dying for our sin, being raised from the dead, and how we could come to know him, and he would live in our hearts and change us from the inside out. And they, again, all said yes. So I said to the little boy, let's do this. Tell them I'm going to pray a prayer in English. You're going to say it in Spanish, and they can repeat it. That's the only thing I knew to do. So we did. Lord God in heaven, Lord God in heaven, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus came and died and lived a perfect life. And I know I need a Savior. So I put my trust in Christ. Put my trust in Christ. Change me from the inside out and show me how to live as your child forever. We finished the prayer Hadn't got to that class in seminary yet. Didn't know what to do. But I remember Billy Graham always said, uh, find a Bible-believing church. Okay, so I told him, see, if you can find a church that teaches this book. And we left. We went back and got on the bus. Nobody else had a translator. So our story was the story of the afternoon, and it seemed great until the next morning. We got to the vacation Bible school the next morning, and the little boy came up to me. He said, Senor, the... The prayer that you led the ladies of my house to pray. Could I pray that prayer too? And I went, oh, Father, I'm such a jerk to ignore that little boy 
and not invite him to follow Christ. And it was like I heard the father say, I know you're a jerk. We'll talk about that later. Help the little boy, all right? So I prayed with the little boy, and he put his trust in Christ, ran back over where the other kids were hearing Bible stories, and I went to walk across the playground. I said, oh, Father, how could I be so insensitive? Please forgive me. And I learned a lesson. I pray I never get over. I heard God whispering in my heart, learn this now. You don't save anyone. It's the message that saves. You see, that little boy had been a mouthpiece. And that's probably happened all over the world many times when a translator becomes a mouthpiece to tell the story and someone gets saved and the translator doesn't even personally trust Christ. How could that happen? It's the message that saves. So what about you tomorrow? Will God put anybody in your path that needs this message? Will you have any desire to at least start a conversation so they can know what's changing you from the inside out. I pray in the book of Acts that we will get a little uncomfortable as we see the story of a movement and we pray fresh, Lord God, move in and through my heart. Would you bow your heads and let's make that our prayer today. Lord, we pray that we will know power and that you, by your Spirit, will point out the truth about Jesus to us, reminding us that we all need a Savior, reminding us that it's the message that saves, reminding us that the Holy Spirit has come to draw us to personal faith, but also to work through us to tell the message to others. So, Lord, today we pray fresh, Holy Spirit, would you move freely in my heart? Would you move through me with this redemptive message of Jesus and let the story of his life, death, and resurrection become the story of my life? I pray this prayer in Jesus' name.